You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals of Crip Chop C, and you're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. Devastation on the Nation starts next week on Thursday in Berkeley, California. Trust me, this year's lineup is absolutely insane. It's featuring Rotting Christ, Borknagar, Wolfheart, Abigail Williams, and Imperial Triumphant, and this is a tour that you do not want to miss. Three of these shows have already sold out. More of them have low ticket warnings. Trust me, you must pick up your tickets if you want to go to the show. If not, you're going to be disappointed. The best way to do that is via the link in the description of this podcast, or you can simply go to MetalFestivalTours.com. Devastation on the Nation 2020 is proudly brought to you by Metal Festival Tours, Continental Touring, and the Vox and Hops Podcast. The very first Vox and Hops Devastation on the Nation Craft Beer Party is happening also next week on March 21st in Vancouver, B.C. It is a pre-show party happening at Jackalope's Neighborhood Dive. You come out there between 4 and 7 and you drink some craft beers alongside other Vox and Hops heads. Some of the Devastation on the Nation crew members and band members are going to be there. Come out and drink some craft beer. Get properly prepared for Devastation on the Nation 2020, which is happening at the Rickshaw Theater that night. Super stoked about this event. Much love and respect to everyone that helped me put it together. Notably, Kevin Ems, Ash Pearson, and the great people from Jackalobe's Neighborhood Dive. Much love and respect. Sadly, I won't be there, but I will be here in Montreal celebrating alongside you craft beer style. Much love and respect. Super stoked to announce, to coincide with the fact that Cryptopsy is playing the Manitoba Metal Fest... I will be out there early for the Manitoba Metal Fest pre-fest party. And for that event, which is happening at Sukram's Brewing Company, I will be doing a live Vox and Hops interview with the one, the only, Samus Policelli. Super stoked about that. That's right. 66Samus, the YouTube star, is out there in Winnipeg. And I'm going to sit down with him in front of a live audience at Sukram's Brewing Company. And I'm going to interview him while we drink some craft beer. I'm super stoked. This is happening on Thursday, April 16th. It starts at 7 p.m. The interview's at 8 p.m. I'm so stoked to see you all there. Come out and party. Get ready for the Manitoba Metal Fest, craft beer style. So this is Frederick from Cult of Luna, and you're listening to Vox and Hops. That's right, Frederick. Much, much love to Frederick from Cult of Luna. I had such a great time at that show the other night. I'm such a huge fan of Cult of Luna. And uh, this was one for the books, uh, so much love and respect to, to Frederick and the rest of the Cult of Luna crew. On today's episode, I'm with Sasha Dunnable of Intronaut. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 117. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Tim with Sasha Dunnable from Intronaut, and you just slayed the Corona Theater. I'm so stoked to be with you. Yeah, how man. are you? I'm great. Great to how great to meet feel? you. Stuff, how did yeah. it feel? The show tonight, opening up a tour. That must be weird because you guys are, in my eyes, a headlining band. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like if it was a different tour, we wouldn't necessarily be into a first of three position, but. Um, you know, the Cult of Luna guys I'd known for a long time. We toured with them years ago, and Emma we're big fans of. And I thought it was just a cool, like, package of music to where it made sense, you know. And we have a new album out, so I think it's um, just a cool tour to be a part of. And, yeah, so I think it's... Playing first has its advantages, too, you know. We get to do this. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you play and then you get to just hang with everybody, you know? Yeah, none of that late night loadouts. Exactly. And everybody's gone. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, you have fun? You, you partied after? I was like, no, I loaded out and yeah. went to a bar where everyone was gone. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> then went to bed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Classic Vox and Hops question at this point. Uh, take me back to your youth. You're growing up in your house. What music was playing when you weren't in control of it? That's an interesting question. I'll have to think. I grew up, okay, so I had two different households. There was my dad's place and then my mom and my stepdad's place. Mom and stepdad being more like 80s yuppies. I was born in 81. So like, just imagine like 1986, what's playing in a Los Angeles house. It was like Rod Stewart, um, you know, Michael Jackson, just like pop music from the day. But then my dad was more of a rocker. There was uh, some Hendrix, there was some Skinnerd, Credence, a lot of Credence, Rolling Stones, you know, just classic rock, you know. That kind of stuff. Do you remember your first concert experience when you went to go see a show? I can't remember exactly which one was first. It was either my uh, my dad's best friend took me to see Rolling Stones on the Voodoo Lounge tour and Seal Open. Or it might have been my mom who took me to see Chuck Berry and Little Richard at the Greek Theater in L.A. I can't remember which one happened wow. first. There's, but some, there's some perks yeah, yeah. growing up in L.A. All, yeah, all, totally. the, all the classic tours come through there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First first tour, first show I ever saw on my own that I like wanted to go to and my mom bought me tickets for was Tom Petty Wildflowers at the Hollywood Bowl. And it was the first time I smelled marijuana in there. <laughs> I was like in seventh, I think, or maybe I had just finished eighth grade or something like that. Yeah. And that's when everything turned. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a great show, honestly, you know. Well, Tom Petty, you can't go wrong. And, Dude, and that yeah. record, you know, he had, he had the, it was a Tom Petty solo record technically, but he had, um... The Heartbreakers all there mm -hmm. with him, and it was a great show. He's such really a hit good. machine. Yeah, for the sure. The amount of hits that guy wrote. Dude, Petty's just, yeah, doesn't get any better, yeah. Where did you get into your music? What would be that first band that was your band? I feel like, um, okay, so I was, again, I was born in 81, so like nine years old, it's 1990, so you have... Guns N' Roses, like Appetite was still like a current album. I guess like album cycles were longer then or whatever. But yeah, like Appetite for Destruction, uh, Dr. Feelgood, um, Skid Row, both Slave to the Grind and self-titled, um, Poison. I'm like a little more ashamed of that one <laughs> now. Uh, An MTV kid, basically. Basically, yeah, MTV in 1990. That was like my like Bible for sure. Crazy. And so then obviously that led to like Metallica Black Album came out right around then too. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what really got... Those were the first like tapes that I bought, you know, back then. Um, yeah. At what point stuff. did you start believing that you would be up on stage? I knew it right then. I was like, I want a, like a red BC Rich uh, warlock, just like Mick Mars. <laughs> like I wanted like red leather pants. I was like, this is all I want. So I had to, um, I started obviously, you know, parents that are just like, okay, whatever, you psychopath. Like we'll get you like a classical guitar. Really? And you okay. have to like take lessons. Prove it to us. Yeah. And um, so yeah, the the first like rental classical nylon string guitar led to a cheap steel string acoustic and then my dad who is like mr cool took me to uh a pawn shop like about a year later and bought me a squire bullet that was like made in korea or japan um it was my first electric with like a little fender practice amp and that's really when 
it all just went downhill. And this was just you in your room, or were you already jamming with people? Uh, yeah, no, there was a few years. I mean, I was taking lessons and jamming in my room. Um, you know, my dad, I could tell he, and my mom too, honestly, they, they both like realized that I was like super into this stuff. So they would show me like classic rock records. You know, my dad bought me Led Zeppelin four, you know, he was like, you should learn stairway to heaven. He like made sure I learned how to play stairway to heaven. He was, a um, he played like piano and organ, a little bit of guitar. Um, he had like an organ repair business back then or whatever. So we would play like stairway and he'd do like the flute parts on the, oh, that's um, badass. yeah, it was like, it was a good introduction and then started jamming with people around eighth grade. I was getting more into like punk rock, you know, we'd do like Ramon songs and stuff like that. And eventually you get better and you start well, it's something that everyone can play. Exactly. Is also, also it too. Yeah, we're just like trying to like keep on the beat with each other. Let's you know? finish a song. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> you could do a two minute Ramon song. Like we're like stoked. You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with metal musicians, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Today I brought for us to drink Boreal's brand new Tropic Nau. This is a New England IPA. All right. It is uh, 6.5%. It's a little bit light. Uh, the artwork uh, is a little bit psychedelic. So uh, when I went to the store to Today, I was like, I think I'm going to bring it for uh, for Sasha for cool. the, the, the new Intronaut record there. I like an IPA, too. I like a lighter IPA, for sure. Good, good. So let's talk about that. Uh, are you a craft beer enthusiast? I'm not like an, you know, a maniac about it, but I do appreciate good beer, for sure. Um, I'm not quite the, you know, the collector, as it were, but... Um, we played like the Decibel Metal and Beer Fest, and I got to like sample a bunch of cool breweries um, a few months ago. And uh, I mean, I definitely appreciate good beer. As soon as I saw that you played that fest, I was like, I'm asking him to do an interview. Yeah. I'm asking him to do a cheers. So, yeah, cheers, bud. Yeah, it smells uh, tropical. Yeah, it's like fruity for me. Fruity, fruity, like, um, uh, like mango y. Yeah, mango, peach, kind of definitely tropical. Mm. You put a little umbrella in this, and it would be. Yeah, and it's cool. I, I, I love this whole New England and hazy craze. Everyone knows that. Listen mm-hmm. to this. I talk about it a lot. Yeah. Absolutely delicious. Uh, Boreal is actually a, a very big brewery up here, and they started doing this artisan line where they just make more experimental beers, more uh-huh. trendy beers, and they've been killing it. So huge shout out to, to Boreal. Yeah, this is this, great. Yeah, definitely. I Yes, I, I as soon as I saw you were playing that, the Decibel Metal and Beer Fest. Yeah. And my brother, my Vox and Hops alumni, Ash Pearson, yes, play drums for you guys. Yeah. So let's touch on that. How did that work out? How did he end up playing drums for you for that one show? So we had Alex Rudinger play on the record, and he originally was going to try and play as many shows as he could. He's also in Whitechapel, so he's like super busy with that. But he was like, I can do, I'll do that show, and then I'll do this Cult of Luna tour. But then Whitechapel added all these dates kind of last minute, and he's like so I can't do it. And Ash is an old friend. I mean, all the revocation guys are like, you know, you know, our brothers, like Brett Bamberger has been my buddy forever. Um, Dave and, and Dan for sure. But I was just kind of talking to Ash about it and I hit him up. I was like, do you know anybody who could like help us out for like this show and some tours? And he's like, I don't know about those like tours you got, but like I'll do that show. He loves craft beer, too, so... Oh, yeah. Dude, Ash is a, a gem of a human. I, I really love him very much. Um, and so I was like, well, this is a good opportunity for me to just... I'll come up there. I went up to Vancouver and hung out with him for a few days, and we jammed and just hung out. And uh, and then he come, came down and hang out with us. And, 
Yeah, so we just did that show with him. Obviously, he's busy with his his real band, so he couldn't do more than that. But um, yeah, that's how that happened, basically. Yeah. Huge yeah. shout out to Ash. Ash Pearson. Just Must love. I've known him for years and years. Just yeah. a diamond human right there. <laughs> it's really great. Uh, take me back to that experience of playing the Metal and Beer Fest. It's something that I would love to do. I haven't been to it. What is it like? You got to do it. It's um, It was cool, man. It's not like a huge festival. I mean, it's just, um, I think that Albert at Decibel just gets all of his like favorite bands that are available to come out and play the show. So um, we did the Observatory in Orange County, which I'm sure you've played before. Yeah, great, great venue. Yeah, great venue. And um, so they have one whole room with probably maybe not 20 breweries, but you know, probably 15 or so like craft breweries that show up with a bunch of stuff um and there's just all this cool stuff to taste and uh, our manager actually works with uh i believe it's three weavers i hope i'm not messing that up but um he collaborated on them with a beer called blood junkie which was like a uh it's like i mean it's literally red and like a real heavy beer um I, th- and i'm showing how much of an <laughs> beer nerd i'm not no, right no, now no, but there's so many styles now that's like it could either be a sour or it could be a boozy one and no it was heavy it was like a lot of percent quite <laughs> it was busy. a lot of percent <laughs> <laughs> and quite bitter um but a delicious beer but yeah I, you know all those breweries that were there all real cool guys and girls and um you know, all had really good stuff, and they're all, like, into metal. It's just a fun party, basically. There's such a crossover between, I say it all the time on the podcast, between craft beer and metal. So yeah. it's, it's it's baffled me that it's, it's taken this long for there to be these metal and beer fests. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I compare it to, like, the same way that, like, I would get into, like, music gear, like pedals and mm-hmm. guitars and amps and stuff. Um you know, some people aren't into that, but, you know, they can kind of nerd out on this beer. And obviously beer and metal do go hand in hand, um, historically, you know. Um, Why do you think that is? You know, I just think back to, like, you know, I wasn't at an Exodus show in 1983, but I can only imagine that everybody was drinking the shit out of some beer. So, <laughs> you know. and, and creating the first mosh pits. Yeah, yeah. just moshing, <laughs> headbanging. You, you know, if you're not drunk, I don't know, like, what you're, like, how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Let's touch on what you mentioned about gear. I noticed that uh, your merch booth, that you guys are selling some gear, some pedals. What What is that? Uh, let's talk about that. Uh, my company, Dunnable Guitars, we do dabble with pedals. Um, and I have a friend in New Jersey who has a company called S&K Pedals. And he makes all these great distortion pedals. Um, he'll kind of do like themed runs of stuff where he'll like clone the preamp from like some weird kind of you know not obscure but just kind of like esoteric like solid state head from the 70s or something like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. and i was like can you do one that is kind of like this like high gain british style preamp like that we're using that we used on the album and so he did that and then we put the album art on it and i mean in my opinion that's like one of the coolest pieces of gear you can or merch and gear you could get really you know where it's like it's it's totally unique and there's yeah, probably based not that many on of the them. album guitar tone you yeah. know I, you know so we made like 25 of them and uh we got a few left so we brought them out on tour it's badass yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Dunable guitars how did this all come together uh, before we started recording, you mentioned that you worked at Century Media for six years, so you seem to have like a big breadth of work experience. Yeah. At what point uh, did you go from that first squire 
to wanting to build <laughs> yeah. your own guitar? Well, to the Century Media thing. So I graduated high school in 1999, and my first job, my first like real job out of high school was working in the Century Media warehouse. Really? Um, Is yeah, there another was, perk being in, you know, coming yeah. from L.A.? Yeah. I mean, just growing up in the metal scene in L.A., like... I had older friends that worked there, and they're like, oh, you need a job? Like, do you want to, like, pack mail order seat? I mean, they have a huge distro of Century Media, or they did back then, you know? With physical copies. Yeah, yeah. So my job for many, many years was packing up CDs and vinyl and just shipping them to mail order customers at Century Media, yeah. And once Intronaut started touring in 2006, they had to let me go. You'd think they'd be understanding. They tried to be for a while. I, I really appreciate everybody that worked there at that time that tried to accommodate you. <laughs> but um, yeah, so after that, I started work. I was like, what do I do now? Like, I was like on tour and I all of a sudden didn't have a job. And um, it was also during that, I mean, there was a huge recession in like 2007, 2008. That's correct. And we were touring a bunch then. And it was the kind of thing where I was like, okay, I'll like work in restaurants. So I was trying to be a waiter, but then like you'd leave to go on tour. There goes that job. And then you come back and it takes four months to find another one because everything's so in demand. You know? mm -hmm. And um, I d did that for a few years, just really struggling because LA is not an, a cheap place to live. And uh, if you don't have a steady job or income, and at that time, Intronaut wasn't making any money at all. I just, mean, just not that we from one, really from do now, one, hand, one hand exactly. into another hand. I mean, yeah. like literally, like eating like you know dollar store like cans of beans. You know, what I mean, like <laughs> on a like ninety nine cent a day budget. That you was know? your buyout, yeah. So yeah, I started like hanging out with a guy who worked in a repair shop in L.A., a guitar repair shop, um, and started to see how that could c possibly be a career path. So I started doing like guitar repair stuff, guitar tech stuff. I mean. Did you have that in mind? You would like go on tour with people, just constantly be on yeah, tour. Yeah, I was like, whatever work I can get. I um, at first I started working in a couple guitar stores as like the in-store repair, repair person. Dude. Yeah, and I would tour with some people. Like I toured with Cynic as a guitar tech. Cool. Um, I did a couple of those Death to All tours, some pop stuff. I did a lot of like in-town like studio stuff, like. Um, the guy who records Intronaut, he's tracked every single one of our records pretty much since uh, Prehistoricisms. He he was also Linkin Park's staff engineer. And they're just always in the studio, or they were. Um, and so he would just be like, do you want to come here every two weeks and just tune our guitars? And it was the kind of, it was the best gig ever, because I would go there for two days a month, basically, and just tune their 50 guitars up or whatever and just like send an invoice to their management. I'd be like, how much money can I send? You know, how can I, how much can I make this out to or for? And, uh, I mean, that was like paying my rent for sure. Wow. Okay. For a while. Yeah. Really cool. Right, I right mean, place, honestly, right time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. S stuff like that. I worked with like Dino from Fear Factory. Um, a couple like producers, Logan Mater and just guys like that. And at the same time was trying to like build up tools to like sort of learn how to build guitars. And you were always a tinkerer before that. Well, I was tinkering tink while learning all this repair stuff. That was sort of like, I mean, I was into tinkering and I kind of come from a family of tinkerers, you know, my like dad take, a, was take a, apart your toaster when you were young. Or? Yeah. My dad was a guy that would never call people to like fix stuff, you know? So I was always like, when there was a problem with my guitar, I would like take it apart and like figure out how to fix it. You know, this is almost like early internet. 
it's not like today where oh no, no there's, there's, there's no there's, youtube there's well, like no, a, maybe a little bit but, but not yeah. like today yeah, yeah where there's 900 million channels yeah, yeah. demos i mean i had a lot of people to bounce stuff off of and um I mean, L.A., there's tons of people that can teach you stuff, you know? So I would just, like, walk into, like, repair shops here and there and just, like, ask them stuff. I ended up working at Guitar Center for four years as the in-house repair guy at a store in Sherman Oaks, California. Um, but, yeah, all the while kind of, like, learning how to build stuff in my garage. I moved into a house so I could convert the garage to a wood shop. And then we went on tour or we were going to go on tour after our album Habitual Levitations and I just like made a couple guitars for me and Dave and then it was just I mean honestly from that it really just took off like because the other bands on the tours would be like what guitar is that? And I'd be like I made that and they'd be like can you make me a guitar? and then it just thing, grew you know, organically yeah. growing which is amazing yeah and then every you know after 10 years of touring with a bunch of bands, all these guys are like, oh, you're making guitars now? Like, make me one, you know? And then it just kind of grew that way organically. And people see them playing the guitars. So people put in orders and... Yeah, we're working on our first PO for Guitar Center right now. As of wow. later, later in March, we're shipping our... We're going to be in 10 stores in Good for the you. US. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Before that, that it was just all directly through the website or people would have to like order or through you yeah or we had a few boutique stores we still do have a few boutique stores throughout like u.s canada europe how do, how do you scale it to keep the quality where it was well we do work with um we outsourced the neck production and honest and for the guitar center stuff we're outsourcing the body production uh, to a guy named grover jackson who started jackson guitars back in the day he like made the randy rhodes v Okay. I think he sold the company in the early 90s or something, um, but he still has a shop down in Orange County, California, and uh, he makes, he's been making our necks for a long time on his CNC machine. He has one of those, like, it looks like a submarine, you put a tree into it and a guitar <laughs> comes out or whatever, you know? But, um, something you can only imagine. Yeah. yeah, so we're working with him, and for the Guitar Center stuff, because there's it's such big quantities, you know, um, everything we do in our shop is handmade, so... But we still paint them in our shop, set them up um, for the Guitar Center stuff. But yeah, that's... Do you remember that first one that you made that you you played and you were like, this is good? Yeah. No, I, I still have it. It's It'll be in my... Uh, in my man cave one day, my little just hang it up somewhere. Yeah. Rock and roll museum in my basement <laughs> one day. Yeah. Let's um, talk about the LA scene. I've interviewed other people and spoken about this. Montreal is such a tight knit community. All the musicians, we all know each other. We all see each other at shows. We all grew up going to shows at the medley. Um, I see LA as being different because everyone is sort of there trying to make it. I don't know if it's different with people that like grew up there versus people like that people showing up earlier, like later in their career trying to make yeah. it. How was your experience, you know, forming a band, getting signed? Was it easier because you were in LA or was it, do you think like? Probably. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, cause you're right. Like I do always, I love that about Montreal. It's like all these, like we look at it as like death metal legends. You know, you have like, you and like Luke LeMay and they're like all, DeSalvo, they're all, they're all, all here, here tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I mean, we had like Steve Hurdle, like we hit him up and he played on one of our records and he was like, yeah, I'm totally down. I like Intronaut. We're like, what? You know, he's probably just like some guy. And Voivod know? too. Yeah, the Voivod guys. I mean, there's just so many cool bands from here that we looked up to in like high school 
and whatever. Um, but L.A. is such a huge city that's spread out. I mean, to drive from one end to the other, you know, just the city, not to mention the county or the neighboring counties. I mean, there's, you're talking about hundreds of miles, you know. And uh, so nobody really... I don't know. I mean, what's a band from L.A.? I can't even, like, think of... There's Abysmal Dawn, and I just well, know Abysmal that because I, okay. I toured with them. That doesn't count because Charles and I used to be roommates. So No uh, way. Really? Oh, yeah. I've That's Charles, so funny. I mean, again, from like local death metal stuff and, from and the 90s, you know. Century Media back in the day. And yeah, and we were roommates. Shout out to Charles. I love, love Charles. I love your brother. I love him, too. That's one of my favorite people ever. Um, yeah, aside from Abysmal Dawn, I actually <laughs> recorded their first demo. <laughs> no way. On a, on a Tascam, like, eight-track thing or whatever. That's a small we world. We did three, yeah, as three big songs as this in the world garage. Is. Yeah, yeah. So small. Um, but aside from them, <laughs> I feel like I, at least these days, I can't, I mean, there are cool bands in L.A. that I know, but it's, like, not a scene that, like, Internaut still plays shows with necessarily. You know? mm-hmm. or the, It'd be hard for you to throw together, like, a, a hometown gig. It would, yeah. It's like with the proper lineup. Yeah, I guess I could if I really tried, but it's just not something I'm like super involved in anymore. I guess you know. Um, and yeah, there are people that move there to like become musicians, but that's never really been the scene that I've been a part of. I mean, for me, it was all my music friends in LA are the people that I knew like in high school mm-hmm. or you went to shows with, you discovered metal with, and you would like put together shows like Charles is one of those guys, you know, like where we would like play the same shows, you know, in like some East LA backyard or whatever. I don't know. Those are the people that I'm still in touch with. And to me, that's still the scene, even though it's probably not a scene because all those people are old as shit. So <laughs> I don't know. Let's touch on uh, playing as a three piece. Yeah. What's the story? You mentioned it briefly on stage that uh, your bassist has injured himself. Yeah. I, I, what is the story with that? No, he twisted his ankle or his foot or his whole leg or whatever in uh, the first night of this tour in Dallas. I, I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened, but I think he stepped in like a crack in some like uneven cracked pavement or something like that. And it was dark, so he didn't see what he was doing. And he ruptured his Achilles tendon. Holy shit. Okay, so it's a Which real is deal. like a yeah, serious yeah. injury. Um, yeah, so that night we kind of just like drank and just like sort of like tried to ignore it, you know? And the next morning he was going like, to stay on? Yeah, yeah. And the next morning he was like, I think this is a problem. So we took him to an urgent care in Austin the next day. And they're like, this is probably what happened. And uh, so we put him in a, they put him in a boot cast thing and he played the show sitting down that night. But he was like, I'm going to make an appointment for the morning. And he had had emergency surgery. Holy shit. Flew home, yeah. And luckily, we have this computer set up now with the click and the video. So uh, we were able to put his bass tracks in it, which is a little weird. It's not ideal, honestly. Like, it's the, you know, Joe and I are like the two original internet guys at this point. So it's kind of weird to be touring with, it's like almost a completely different crew. I mean, besides Dave, obviously. But, um, it's odd to play without a bass player for sure. And it's also strange. Like when you're touring, you're used to being around, there's like a certain dynamic within a band. Definitely. And I don't know what role he fills, but to have that void be there must be strange. It's different. It's just, it just feels like 
quieter in like not a good way. You know what I mean? Like you just don't have your same like rhythm of mm-hmm. conversation, you yeah, know, too. and conversation for sure. You yeah. Know? I remember that first tour that Ollie wasn't there and we had Dom Grimard. Shout out to Dom. I love you. But I just kept like turning around looking for Ollie and I was like, oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get used to it, but it's, it's a strange feeling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely miss him. We all miss him. Um, I mean, he's, you know, a key member of this band and we wouldn't do it if it wasn't such a, it would be a financial hardship to like quit the tour. It's like we have, I mean, especially for a crew, it's like these guys are like depending on doing this tour to make their money this month, you know? So yeah, he was not happy about having to leave the tour and we weren't happy about it either, but you know, we just kept going anyway. So yeah. You got to hammer on. Yeah. Huge shout out to Joe. Uh, recuperate quickly Uh, we're all thinking about you and your boys are out here holding it down definitely I miss him terribly honestly yeah we've all been playing music Joe uh, Dave me and even our old drummer Danny we've been playing music since we were like 16 15 years old you know so it's weird to not have your part of your like musical DNA there on stage with you it's weird did he play with Secret Chiefs yeah, he's like... I, I saw that show here, and it wasn't in Montreal, it was up north. It, wasn't it so good? It was they, amazing. They did, They played up north where? like In St. Therese. Wow. In a tiny little bar. It was insane. I saw the show in LA. It was so good. I mean, and it was so crazy that he got the gig. It's like his favorite band. Really? Cool. And yeah. I got to see them in LA, and it was like... They played like heavier songs. Very that good. Weird tritone guitar. Yeah, I made one of those guitars for Jason, the other guitar player. Really? A microtonal. Microtone. Yeah. 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 And Trey, obviously, is a a musical legend. Absolutely. Bungle and all that stuff, so. Huge fan. Yeah, yeah. No, it was really cool to just sort of like, for me at least, sort sort of on the, you know, on the sidelines sort of be involved, but to see Joe playing with them was like a big deal. Like, we've been listening to that band for a long time, yeah. If you could travel back in time relive one tour what tour would that be because you had so much fun because it was special we've done a lot of great tours honestly internet um most of them like opening for cool bands you know uh we did a tour with mastodon and kylesa in like 2009 that was like super fun for the time although i don't know it was one of those ones where you just like don't get any sleep you know driving yourselves yeah you were like in just like a van and you're just drinking and you're having all the fun you know but you're just, <laughs> suffering like i feel like i would like sleep on like sidewalks i could never do it again but it was a lot of fun at the time um but i think like the one i would want to do over and over again and if they're listening <laughs> listen up but Meshuga, uh we got to tour with um it was Meshuga animals as leaders intronaut in 2013 and i actually like i uh jens their singer didn't uh, he got sick and didn't sing for the first five shows so they like came up to us we didn't like really know them yet but they're like he, their tour manager comes up to me the second day of the tour and he's like can you sing for Meshuga?" <laughs> and i was like yeah excuse me what yeah <laughs> And then, like, five minutes later, I'm like, wait, uh... What did I just agree to? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I got to sing a couple songs with them for, like, five shows. Which songs? I'm, I'm a huge fan. New Millennium Cyanide no. Christ was the one that I did every night. That's so good. And I kept trying to get more and more songs, but I, I would practice, like, uh... I think they were songs from, from that Coloss record that were, mm-hmm. like, current at the time. 
And then what's the one uh, straws pulled at random? That's, that's that right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like one of my favorite Meshuggah songs. But like, I would get up at Soundcheck and like try to do it with them, and it was very hard to do. So I ended up just doing New Millennium Sinai Christ for most of the shows, um, which is great in itself. You know, I watch you guys tonight. Obviously, I've been listening to the record. I love that you guys write complicated music, but you make it sound straight. Yeah. You make it sound square. How much of a struggle is it to do that? I mean, honestly, uh, that's what I like about... I mean, there's a ton of bands that um, have done that, and that's sort of like what I'm inspired by as far as like progressive music. Like the police, you know? Like well, The police, I was about to just say the yeah. police are exactly that. Um, you know, even Yes, you know, on certain mm-hmm. albums are that to me, like fragile or close to the edge, like... Maybe they don't sound simple to the common listener or whatever, but... Um, but it has, like, a flow that you can follow even though it's completely nonsense that's happening. Exactly, but there's still, like, this catchy kind of, mm-hmm. like, hooks that you can kind of, like, Which grab onto. Which I think you guys have just totally... Right. The new record, for, for sure, too. Thanks. Yeah, those are my biggest, like, influences songwriting-wise. Like, oh, the Police, yeah. Yes. Um, I don't know. There's probably tons more that I'm just forgetting right now, but, yeah. That's funny that you picked up on that. Yeah, that's cool. Sasha, thank you so much. Yeah, Coming, man. Drinking a beer with me. Yeah. Cheers to uh, this new record. Keep pushing it. Yeah. Keep touring it. I'm stoked. Thanks, man. It's a good beer. Hey, thank you so, so much for listening right to the end. I had such a great time with Sasha. I could probably count on one hand the amount of times that I started listening to a record because it was just released, and then I saw the band just a few days later. I remember back in the day with that first Slipknot album, I picked it up, and then I immediately went to go see them probably three or four days later. But that just happened with Intronaut when they came through Montreal alongside Emma Ruth Rundle and Cult of Luna. And uh, it was an excellent experience. It's very interesting to, to get to know an album and then to immediately see it live. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed my chat with Sasha. Such a cool guy. Super fun. Down to earth. Much love and respect to Sasha and the rest of the internet crew. I am super stoked about this new record and everyone should go check it out if they have not already done that. As always, the best way to support the Vox and House podcast is via the Vox and House Big Cartel page. Anything that I receive up there is greatly, greatly appreciated, and there would be no Vox and House podcast if it wasn't for all of you. I hope you guys have a great weekend, and I hope that you have a great week after that. But most importantly, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hopsets. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.